the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When it comes to your investments and retirement, in this economy, it's important to be smart. And with the Smart Investor Hour heard right here on AM 1420 The Answer, you'll get both smart and intelligent information you'll need to help with your investing. So sit back, listen, and learn with your host of the Smart Investor Hour, Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management. Good afternoon, everybody. Let's start uh, with some political comments today. Be sure you put your feet in the right place. Then stand firm. Abraham Lincoln. I walk slowly, but never backward. Once again, Abraham Lincoln. And then one of my favorites. Most bad government has grown out of too much government. Thomas Jefferson. And then we're going to go overseas to a friend of, of dictator Stalin. His name was Nekchev. He said, the people who cast the vote decide nothing. The people who count the votes decide everything. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> From there, no comment. Uh, anyway, you know, we always talk about our show, and if you'd like to get any of the material we talk about, uh, you know, we're always talking about our dividend growth portfolio, our prime income list, our savvy investors credit workbook, money matters for young professionals, for young folks out there. Uh, actually, you're, you're, you're probably feeling old. <laughs> you're just young to me. Women and Wealth, a planning workbook, a uh, business owner's guide to transition. Uh, we have our all our lists. We have our small cap list, our large cap list. By the way, we have a news new a new newsletter out, <clears throat> and uh, this month, uh, can you fund your retirement? You know, I have had a couple people. I had a guy leave me uh, because he was upset that I told him he couldn't retire. <laughs> Uh, and don't let debt re- re- uh, derail your retirement. And international investing opportunities overseas, is it time to cut cable? <laughs> there we go. There's some uh, interesting stuff going on there. Anyway, um, if you go to WHK1420 AM and go to uh, local podcast down the Smart Investor Show, Tim Hayes, uh, make sure, by the way, on my webpage now, we have Rob Schleimer who's our head technician. He, he took over for Bob Dickey, and believe me, those are big shoes to fill, but Rob was the top technical analyst in his field for like six straight years on the institutional all-star team uh, and part of Funstrat, which is uh, Tom Lee's people. So believe me, Tom Lee doesn't bring in people he doesn't think are very, very qualified. Uh, so that's going to be uh, under bulletin board now. It'll be called Trending Cycle, and he'll, he'll put, be posting fairly regularly. Uh, also, if you look into the insights area, there's a whole bunch of new research that we have. And one of them I'm going to talk about today, but I'm not going to talk about it yet. Uh, it is a live show, 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0945 to get a question or comment. So we can have uh, a reasonable debate about the degree, the degree to which uh, the FMOC meeting was hawkish, but there's no doubt it leaned on that side of the line. <laughs> no, no doubt. 
In fact, from our lens, Powell and Company gave us a lot to chew on. And there are several things that stood out beyond the clearly hawkish developments of uh, officials now looking for two hikes uh, in 23, from no hikes, by the way. Uh, nearly double the amount of officials now looking for a hike in, t- in 22, and a massive upward revision, revision to 22 inflation. Uh, so those, those three things had me, uh, had me worried. Uh, look, in, in Powell's prepared statements, uh, he, he, he struck the, the same almost um, unbearably cautious view towards the backdrop. Um, the bit about unemployment rate, understanding the shortfall employment, uh, the only way that is true is if it flows into the labor force uh, and it moves into the ranks of the unemployed, that type of thing. But, uh, you know, he had a couple caveats sprinkled in there. But, you know, for the most part, it was, uh, uh, you know, whatever. Now, look, uh, there's a couple things that I saw. Uh, number one, with that information, the uh, Dow broke its 50-day moving average. Usually the first uh, what we call sell signal in a, in a a lot of people are thinking that the value trade is over, and you know uh, there was a big dis- discrepancy between value and growth coming into this trade it, or this this investment and in, in value. We were talking about you know we uh, talked about the epicenter stocks last summer, and then we've been talking about the value trade for some time, and I think they have to correct a little bit. They've come a long way, pretty fast. Uh, but, you know, the average value uh, cycle is five years. All right. So, you know, I don't think it's over yet. And I think, you know, what you're going to see is earnings are likely to, to be to blossom, shall we say. All right. Uh, coming going forward. Now, a lot of people are worried about inflation. I think, you know, inflation is going to be higher than people think it should be. OK, that simple. Uh, you can't have that much money out there. There's five trillion dollars in money markets now, and there's 1.9 trillion on just the balance sheets of the S&P 500 companies. There's a lot of money out there, all right. Um, and, and that's something you gotta you gotta pay attention to. Now, look, one of the things that a lot of people are not looking at is the trade deficit. And by my view, it's getting it's continuing to deteriorate. All right, so it's, that's not good for the dollar. All right. But the dollar looks like, uh, I mean, everybody's negative on the dollar. So it's starting to look better on a chart. <laughs> and I'll talk about that in the second half uh, of the show. But uh, look, one of the things that I, I was listening to a couple conference calls, one from Tom Lee of Bunstrat, one of Richard Ber- Bernstein and one from our people. And, you know, the, the, the Fed is a lagging indicator. Just remember that. Um, and one of the things well, look, I, I got a test for everybody out there, okay? So we're going to grade you next week. <laughs> I want you to sit and listen to CNBC one morning. And I want you to see how many times they mention disruptive technology or technology or advancements or venture capital. And every time, it's a positive note. I did this Friday, okay? And then let them talk about commodities, there was eight mentions of commodities, and they were all negative. There was five mentions of value companies, and they were all negative. So let's just see. You know, uh, that's not how bull markets end. That's how they keep going. <laughs> all right. So I think that that's important too. And then 
look, the other thing I'm seeing, and uh, I'm starting to read about international stocks. And, you know, Bernstein, who was 80% U.S. equities, is now going to 55%. And one of the things I've seen is the fundamentals have improved more outside of the U.S. than in the U.S. So maybe it's time to make that, that change. Now, another thing, I've, I've talked to some people this week uh, about modern portfolio theory and fixed income securities' role in the well-balanced portfolio. And look, modern portfolio was, you know, theory was started about half a century ago. And, uh, and what it was, was, you know, one of the tenets of the portfolio is that fixed income allocations are mirror your age. All right. So if you're 30, you should have 70 percent stocks, 30 percent bonds. If you're 80, you should have 20 percent stocks and 80 percent bonds. However, um, I, I look, yields are at an all time low. And I mean, going all the way back to like the Roman Empire, <laughs> that's a long time. So uh, when yields go up, bond prices go down. So your bond portfolio, you better not be depending on it for cash. I mean, if you have to sell out of a bond, you got you got to be careful here, okay? Because yields, I don't think are going to go down much more <laughs> since they're at zero, all right? For you know. Money markets basically are zero. And, you know, J.P. Morgan doesn't, is not taking any more deposits. That means there's not enough paper out there for them to get a decent yield for you. All right? And, you know, I, I know, look, I, I know a lot of companies are having the same problem. So there's so much cash out there. The one thing that we got going for us is that the monetary velocity, meaning how fast the month of M2, which is uh, the definition of the of the money supply turns over. It's at zero. Without it, I think we'd have much higher inflation. So, but I think now modern portfolio theory, you almost have to go with dividend growth stocks and and, and our prime income list. I think that's important. You got to pay attention to that. Okay. Uh, now, I I also uh, think I, I was listening to Tom Lee this week, and uh, Tom Lee's a very smart guy. He's he's one of the head guys at Fundstrat, and he sees downside risk to rates. So here we are, you know, at one point four percent, and he he expects them to go down. Matter of fact, he said he likes the Fang stocks, which I thought was kind of interesting. So uh, keep that in mind. All right. Um, anyway, um, last week I said. That we have, uh, well, we had a resurgence in the growth stocks, okay? And uh, we, we have a gentleman uh, who is, is really good, Dan Perlin, and he's he handles all the uh, fintech stocks for us. And I thought that he had some interesting comments, so I'll just mention these. Checkout.com, uh, which is a new state of retail report, found that 74% of European consumers have no plans of reducing their use of commerce despite reopening of physical stores as the pandemic abates. 50% of the retailers, meanwhile, have re responded to increased cross-border demand by adding new payment types, while 25% have or are creating local fulfillment centers. 80% of European consumers intend to use digital wallets in the next year with 40% planning to do so regularly. 
why 31% of U.S. U.K. consumers are planning on uh, a, a new solution. That's from FinTech and Finance News. All right, so in Dan's opinion, it helps to contextualize some of the behavioral changes and financial impacts catalyzed by the onset of COVID-19. Shifting technology usage and consumers and or business attitudes stemming from the pandemic affect nearly every stock in, in his coverage universe. So basically, last spring, we told you that the digital revolution had just been pushed up 10 years, probably. Okay, we said it for three straight weeks. We bought those stocks. We made a lot of money on it. We're still making money on it. So what I'm suggesting is the fintech stocks are not going away. And we have a great report by Dan. Uh, he's got outperforms on a lot of these names, uh, sector performance and Sun because they made big moves. Uh, but it, it, he, he's been a really good analyst. So we'll just leave it at that. If you like the report, once again, you go to WHK1420, go to local podcast down to Smart Investor Show, Tim Hayes, clicks right to my uh, web page, hit the contact me. Okay. All right. Now, uh, the other thing is, last week, uh, I talked about how most of the oil stocks were in the fifth and sixth zone of the six zones. So fifth and sixth zones are very overbought. Zone one is very oversold. All right. So our oil strategy people are thinking, you know, they kicked off the year with what we believed a very bullish outlook uh, for the oil market, while the targets uh, that we slated for the year end are met already. <laughs> All right. So it, that's in mid-June. So that's a fundamental building block supporting, you know, that our review remains intact. Okay. So the oil market remains in, in the early innings of a strong cycle. So we see prices firming further with Crent, uh, with uh, WTI and Brent, about $74, $76 a barrel. Okay. So and through, they think that's going to go through the second half of the year uh, with intermittent sprints testing like 80, you know, and that type of thing. So our oil strategy is, is very positive. And you might have seen Michael Tran or uh, Halima Croft on CNBC. They're on there quite a bit. Uh, but we, you know, we, we laid out a three-step blueprint. Um, and it returned, you know, we returned the OECD inventories towards seasonally normal levels. That's number one. Uh, number two, uh, the the tapering of OPEC share capacity or spare capacity. And that, and then number three is the, the call on U.S. shale production increases, an event that will play out probably next year. They probably won't get to that because they're against they're against the, the shale now. So this, the cycle ahead, I think, next year will be the first time in a decade that both tightening global supply and strong global demand will infle inflect prices higher. So I don't. What I'm trying to tell you is I don't think that it's over. Okay. Now we had a virtual uh, energy, power, and infrastructure con conference, which you can get once again. You go to WHK fourteen twenty. Go to local podcast down the Smart Investor Show. Tim Hayes hit the contact me email. We we had two days of it, and boy, there's some really good information. We have a commodity strategy. We have some, you know, a bunch of names in there that we like, but technically they're overbought. So. You know, you, what you want to be doing now, I think, is literally getting ready, okay, for the next stage, all right? When they sell off, that's when you want to buy them. It ain't over yet. That's what I'm trying to tell you, okay? So, uh, 
you know, I, I, I talked to, uh, uh, a couple people and one of the things that, you know, they're talking about electric cars and there's, you know, GM and Ford, they're bound and determined to have all electric cars. I don't know if I want an electric car, but, uh, I'll leave that to everybody else, but, the global population growth and increasing economic activity, particularly in emerging economies, have led to a steady demand for electricity. And it's, it's not just now. It's been going on for the last 40 years. Now, if you, according to the U.S. Energy Information Administration, worldwide consumption grew to 23,562,000,000 kilowatt hours uh, in, two, in 2019. A couple of years past that now. So, look, if you look, when you flip on a light switch or charge your smartphone, you probably give little thought to the process that was involved in delivering electricity. It includes a generation, transmission, and distribution of the energy. Okay. And there's money to be made on all three areas. Very easily made. Uh, now, there's several different types. There's solar, there's wind, there's natural gas, there's hydroelectric, there's nuclear, there's coal. All right. That, that's a, by the way, those, there's some others that, you know, vary a little bit, but those things take up the majority of. Okay. So, one of the things you got to start to think about in the future is emissions. There's a neg, that's a negative resource. People don't like emissions. So, the coal plants are probably going away. Second thing is battery storage. The final thing is the methods of generating and, and which is going to take over over the period of time. I got a great report. Just hit the contact me, email me, and we'll send it to you. In the meantime, let's take a break. Remember, it's a live show, 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. Okay, we're back. <laughs> I was just playing that song earlier today. <laughs> uh, anyway, the uh, the price of corn and soybeans are at their highest level since 2012. Even sales of black cheese futures have been soaring in anticipation of grilling season. And if you've checked the price at even at, at Costco or Acme or any place else, uh, Heinen's, of beef, your eyes will pop out of your head. All right? Uh, toilet paper made from a combination of approximately 30% softwood and 70% hardwood accounts for 15% of the deforestation worldwide. So if you're if you're a greenie, that's that's the place I'm concentrating on. Sales of boats in the U.S. hit a 13-year high to reach 47 billion in 2020. Uh, that's from the National Marine uh, Manufacturers Association. That's a 9% climb, and mostly because you could cruise on them uh, during, you know, you get, get away from everything, all right? Uh, you know, investors have been pretty enthusiastic about the economic recovery plays uh, and, and many value activities, but I think, you know, they're starting to pull back, and I think some of the, you know, the near-term stuff is, is baked into the prices, so you'll see a little bit of pullback. I don't think it's over yet, but, uh, you know, like I said, the thing with value equities is you can't you can't really judge them based on their earnings because the earnings it's when their PE ratios are low that you got to get worried about them when their PE ratios are high usually that means the earnings are going to come okay so um 
look, I, I saw a couple things this week. And uh, number one, I saw the S&P 500 break its 50-day moving average. So that's that's his first line of support, okay? Um, and the, the other thing is I was, I was reading some stuff about the bond market this, you know, this morning. And, you know, the bond market is kind of showing people that, uh, well, I mean, it, it, look at some of the rotation strategies and, and the flattening and, and steepening of the yield curve. And uh, are yields moving higher? It doesn't look that way. It looks like they're buying the long run, but uh, who knows? Uh, um, now, I have people looking at both sides, and some people are saying, I don't know what I'm talking about, and <laughs> uh, which, you know, that, there's, that's what makes a market. Everybody has their own opinion. Some people are saying that you know, they think yields are going to go up uh, drastically. Uh, Jeffrey Gunlock, who's a little bit smarter than I am, uh, he's saying that, you know, the, the transitory inflation isn't going to be transitory. So that could be a big problem. There's a lot of money out there. If the velocity of money picks up, I can see it, uh, uh, you know, in a big way. The other thing is um, the debate on the dollar. You know, uh, interest rates normally, if they go up, currency goes up. So, uh, you know, we have a, like a double bottom on the dollar, but we also have a double top. And what we have is lower highs with a flat bottom. And that's the kind of a triangle pattern on the dollar. And if, if, if it were to break out to the north, the dollar would go up a lot. If it broke to the south, it'd be different. Now, there's a couple of things I'm seeing as far as the, uh, you know, some of the other indicators I follow uh, are not turning up. So, But we're at, we're at key support, I think, for the dollar. So it should, should be interesting to see how that goes. Um, and... I will say this. I, I saw a couple of those indicators. They're starting to turn a little bit positive. You know, they're, they're, they're oversold and it might turn up, uh, you know, and it'll be interesting. The MACD line, you know, we had a crossover there. Uh, so the dollar could change things uh, for a while because, you know, if the dollar goes up, usually commodities go down. Um, and, you know, look, if that's the case, then I think what we have to do uh if interest rates are going up, you know, if you've been investing for the last, you know, since I've been in the business, we've been investing in in a declining interest rate market. Okay, so you can't look back. You got to start to go back and look at the fifties, at, at, you know, at, and the between the thirties and the and the fifties. Uh, you know, look from from nineteen sixty two to nineteen seventy nine. The market went nowhere, but, you know, had a couple big town legs, by the way. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think you have to start to change what you're looking at. If you're looking at the past, you got to go back to what, it, you know, if there's an interest rate hike type of scenario, start to think about that. All right. Um, and and I, I think it's important, um, you know, that you pay very close attention to that because I think, it, you know, there could be uh, a big change in your thought process over the course of the next 10, 15 years. Now, the other thing is the overall trend for U.S. equities still remains positive, but it's it's at the upper end of a 12-year trading range, okay? And this is what I keep talking about. So a pullback in the coming months from the upper end of the channel would not be surprising. And I've been saying that. I've been saying it. I'm sorry. But, you know, you got to – it's better to figure that out ahead of time than to find out the hard way, okay? So uh, – Look, I, I think it's, you know, 
There's two types of corrections. I've said this numerous times. The sideways pattern or, you know, the market goes down for a while. All right. Uh, but, you know, I, I think, you know, I looked at the rates and I say, well, it looks like there's some more sideways turn here. You know, we, we broke down and then we rallied back up on, on Friday, uh, Thursday and Friday after the Fed statement uh, because they said they're going to finally raise rates. But they're not going to raise, the, you know, they're talking 2023. So it's a, it's <laughs> the market's getting a little paranoid early. But, uh, um, you know, the oil uptrend is intact. It's overbought short term. So I think, you know, you want to step back a little bit and, and, you know, pay closer attention. Like I said most of the oil stocks are in the fifth and sixth zone. So the zone theory is there's one through six and one is where you buy calls. Five and six is where you write calls. Uh, so, you know, writing calls, you write calls on overbought stocks uh, and it works pretty well. So there's a lot of oil stocks that are in that five and six category. And, you know, if you're writing calls, that's you know, buy the stock and write the call. Right. Um, so uh, the other thing is, you know, copper, which is interesting, is beginning to challenge and break its 20 to 20, uh, 2020 to 2021 uptrend. So Industrial commodities have uh, defied the pullback in interest, but uh, copper is showing some early signs of a correction. So th that would be interesting. I, I also see in some sector rotation, uh, you know, we have growth stocks accelerating. All right. And that's that's good because I still own some. And we have some op opening uh, reopening ideas that look like they're a perfect spot to buy. I, I had uh, breakfast with a gentleman Friday uh, who, who I. I I think he's done a great job for retirement. Uh, he's, he's, a, he's a wonderful person, but, you know, I showed him the charts of a couple stocks that have pulled back right to where you should buy them. All right. So we are testing the uptrend. Uh, and I think that's important. The other thing is that the, if I look at the weekly quadrant balance momentum indicator, it's, it's kind of heading south. So I think it's got some time before it pulls back a little bit. Now, do I think this is going to be a terrible thing? Uh, not yet. Uh, but we've we've made a series of lower highs on the bullish percent. We'll talk about that in the next part of the show. But, you know, the question is, you know, we keep hitting 60 or 62 or 64 and then bouncing back up. That may be because there's just too much money out there. You know, they can't find bonds that they like. And, uh, you know, I get it. So but we did break the 50 day moving average of the Dow. So that's kind of interesting. The other interesting is the Russell 2000 index broke out of a consolidation. So uh, that's really interesting. I, the other thing I think is really important is that on a relative basis, it, it had a short-term downtrend against the, the Dow and the, you know, the uh, QQQs, and it turned up on that too. So now I looked at the American Association of Individual Investors, both sentiment, you know, bullish, bearish, and neutral, and it, they're a little bit too bullish for me. <laughs> I like when everybody's bummed out, all right? Uh, the bears are low, but they're starting to increase, which is good. And the, the, those neutral are are moderately increasing. So uh, it's still not you know terribly negative. It's I just like things when everybody's crying in their beer. Just <laughs> may say something for me, but I don't know. Anyway, the other thing I noticed is that you know growth versus value. Growth was way overvalued, and now it's back to you know it, it's stabilizing it. And the mid cap and the small cap are stabilizing right at the 40 week moving average. So um, that's good, too. I will say this. The low beta index 
uh, our low volatility index is getting beat up by the high beta index, which is usually the cyclical or the value stocks. And I'm seeing some, well, I'll talk about the, uh, the foreign stocks on the second half of the show. Stay tuned. We're going to be right back. We're going to talk about the bullish percent. Uh, the number here is 216-901-0945. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hello, Carlos Santana, get us started here. You know, uh, Friday was the third Friday of the of the final month of the quarter, which means triple witching. And it was amazing to see how much volume came in at the close. Uh, and I don't think that's ever going away because of uh, all the guys that are trading the futures, the, you know, writing calls on ETFs, writing calls on stocks, et cetera. So uh, the volume statistics just were outrageous. Friday. <laughs> uh, we'll see what happens. Anyway, we... Uh, you know, we, we talk every week about the bullish percent, and this is just our main risk guide, just so you all know. And uh, it's just it was a very simple process back in the old days. They used to have what is known as the box theory, okay? And it, it was, you know, it moved over to the what they call the point-and-figure charts. The point-and-figure charts are just interesting. When you move out of the block or out of a certain range, you put another X on the thing. When you move down out of a range, you put an O, all right? So uh, some protégés of Charles Dow back in the 30s wanted to be bullish at the bottom and bearish at the top. So they came up with something called the bullish percent. Goes from zero to 100. Over 70 is when things are too hot to handle. We were just there. And uh, everybody's talking about their portfolios and uh, you know that type of thing. And then we go to below 30. And that's when nobody talks about their portfolio. We get the five last spring. And I think I pounded the table enough for four or five straight weeks to say, hey, buy the market. All right. And uh, so anyway, by the way, five's the lowest I've seen, even in 1987, 2009, 2008, uh, five's the lowest I've seen. So I was pretty sure that we were, we were going to make money. Uh, it's, it's, it's risky. You know, everybody's saying it's risky. No, it was risky when we were up at 70, which I talked about in, that, in February of last year. Well. We're back up at, uh, we're at 70, 71 right now. Uh, we were, we're down 1.2% this week. Um, actually, I think, I think we hit below, we hit 70, but just below 70 uh, for the week. And, and, but we're still in the column of X's. So X's mean we have the offensive team on the field. O's mean we have the defensive team. Now, there is one other thing. You know, what we do is we have dynamic asset level investing, and our friends at Dorsey Wright provide us with this. And uh, um, look, the key here is, is that domestic equities are still the number one asset class. Okay. Back in, you know, in the bear market time, they were the lowest form of life. Okay. They were number six on the, on the scale of six. <laughs> so now they're number one. So when we go into a column of O's, all, all it says is you should be paying attention to your portfolio. Well, when a column of X's, you can do whatever you want, but uh, you know, usually what you're trying to do is make money. Uh, so you know, what we're trying to do is match the risk level with what we're buying and where we're buying it. Okay. So what I'm trying to do generally with people's portfolios 
is figure out what the asset allocation should be, uh, number one. Buy stocks with dividend growth or, or have good income that, that they want, but also have some growth stocks in there to, so the portfolio goes up. But to buy them at the right time and buy the best idea. Okay, so what we're looking for is to match fundamentals and the technicals. So the over-the-counter index was up 1.8%. Remember, I said small caps broke out this week and is in the column of X's. The world index is flat as a pancake, and it's at 57. So at 57 for both of these, that's a pretty good place to buy things. At 70, uh, not so much. <laughs> so uh, I think the smaller names and the foreign names, probably a place you want to stay for a while. But it was a quiet week. Uh, kind of slightly positive until Thursday and Friday, and then they beat them up a little bit. Fr Friday was a bad day. Uh, I didn't witness any material changes other than the Dow Jones broke its 50-day moving average, okay? So now if I look at, uh, uh, you know, healthcare, you know, healthcare went from favored back in, in uh, you know, the, the last, right before the market took off to the downside uh in the uh in, in march of 2020 and it's gone to unfavored believe it or not even though they saved the planet and now it's average again uh but it's got a positive trend it's in a column of x's on its relative strength chart meaning this it's it's on a buy signal and it's it's uh rel relative strength is positive and its sector is positive. So it's, it's an inter interesting scenario. Uh, you know, I got a lot of names in the healthcare area that are interesting, but they, they both, you know, the healthcare, uh, the trend, the positive trend turned up. And the fact that the relative strengths in a column of X's is very, very positive. So, uh, you know, I did notice that uh, if I look at, you know, back in 2000, uh, you know, the healthcare industries were, you know, big. And now we, we've come, I mean, we're, we're, we got below 30. Uh, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how long we, we stay down uh, in the dumps, but uh, you know, we, we got the 16 on the, on the uh, healthcare, uh, you know, bullish percent just a, two weeks ago. So it'll be interesting. See, see uh, we've had quite a few takeovers in that area. So it'll be interesting going forward. Now, I did notice that the Dow has been had negative weekly momentum for six weeks, so it's finally starting to give up a little bit, and the, and the mid cap shares have been negative for ten weeks. It's a pretty long time in the world of Wall Street, so we'll, we'll see. Also, the EEM has not making any progress, but it's not going down either. That's the emerging markets, and and uh, I you know I noticed that the emerging markets and the EFA, which is the Morgan Stanley Corporate Index, which is the larger companies out there worldwide, uh, have both hit new highs recently. So, um, but we did have the uh, the equal weight S and P 500, where each stock gets a vote. The S and P 500 and also the Q, uh, the XLG all have negative momentum for six weeks. Now the QQQs went positive. I think that's because Tom Lee uh, made the comment about, uh, hey, you know, I like the things. Uh, so, you know, we saw some mega, mega cap, large cap related areas of the U.S. market outperform uh, in the QQQs just recently. So it'll be interesting to see how that, you know, that continues. Um, you never know. But the S&P 500 did break out to a new high at 425. And it's the first time it's 
broke out. And by the way, the advanced decline line was flat. So it's going up with less people. Okay. So it's, it's more of the bigger names. Um, but it's the first new high since Biden talked about his uh, tax plan. And uh, that's something to keep in the back of your head. Now, the XLD went up, but it went up with less and less stocks, too. So there's 50 stocks there. Uh, there's 10 in a positive trend. So the uh, 30 neutral and 10 negative. So hmm, what are you going to do? Uh, now, since we're over 70 and we keep, uh, you know, we're, we're having some down days, it'll be interesting to see uh, Dorsey writes, you know, if, if they if we get one in a column of O's uh, on Friday. I couldn't get into their web page, so I can't tell you today, but that's uh, why people do business with me. Anyway, favorite sectors, we got up to uh, 12 favorite sectors, but the majority of the sectors are above 60. So it's not ideal. The only two that are even close to being viable are not favored, so I'm not going to talk about them, but savings and loans are at 90. Banks are at 82. Oil and, and gas utilities are at 76. Oil services at 70. Remember, these are very overbought now, okay? Uh, so you want to wait on them. They'll still be favored probably someday, but you want to wait on them. Protection services at 64. And then, you know, in the 60 areas, textiles, uh, non-ferrous metals, uh, retail, uh, computers, and, and waste management. Uh, you know, you can, depending on the chart, you can start buying those. Uh, but it, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, where we go from here uh, on that. It's, you know, what, what's going on now. We did have a lot of sectors move around. So biotechnology, which was totally unfavored, went to average. Uh, the Internet, which was the, uh, at the low end, <laughs> in the lowest form of life, has now moved up a, a slot or two. Housing moved from unfavored to, to, favored, uh, to average. And then we had computers, waste management, protection services, oil services, gas utilities, and oil move to favorite status. And then non-ferrous metals move to favorite status. So it'll be interesting to see if they hold that. Now, international, we've been talking about international for a while. And uh, one of the things I saw, and, and I, for instance, Dorsey Wright pointed out, and it was kind of funny, I saw it uh, on my charts, and then they pointed out, was Russia went positive. You know, Russia has a fund score of 4.4, 4, which is, you know, that's above three and that's 350. That's what you're looking for. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, I'm not sure why, but, uh, you know, Russian equities, you know, have obviously something going for them. Uh, I think I think what you're looking at is they do have a pretty high yield. So maybe that's why they're doing it. But I saw two or three different uh, ETFs that in the Russian area that look really, really good. Now, fixed income um, is, is interesting because the 10-year Treasury yield broke a double bottom and then reversed back up, you know, sharply, uh, and it reached 1.57. So, I, I, you know, sometimes when you break a double bottom, it's what they call a shakeout formula. So maybe they shook the people out because the Fed's now talking about raising rates in 2023, which is a big change. And, you know, it might come sooner than that. Uh, but, you know, we did see crude oil make a big move in the last couple of weeks. So I think crude oil's, uh, you know, you can wait on that, copper wait on. And gold had been positive for 10 weeks, went negative. Uh, the momentum went negative. I didn't say it went negative. But it did have a sharp sell-off on the Fed news. 
Um, you know, so it's, you know, maybe, maybe the commodities have peaked for a while. I don't know. We'll find out, we'll, you know, maybe they peaked, who knows, but, uh, usually I would suggest that commodities, uh, it tends to be a longer term process. Now we talk about relative strength on the show all the time, because what we're trying to do is be in the best stock in the best group with the best fundamentals. Okay. So relative strength is a measure of how a stock is performing when compared to something else, all right? In this case, the S&P 500 equal-weighted index. So what we're looking for, and, and, and some of these, look, I bought Danaher 20 years ago, and I still own it for clients, all right? And it's been a, uh, there's, there's another computer company called Open Text that I bought, and still on a relative strength buy signal. So you got to pay attention to these because sometimes these last a long time. Uh, it's Core Civic, isn't it one? And Federal Realty Investment Trust, that's a REIT, by the way. Evolution Petroleum Corporation, Anavax, Life Sciences, uh, Global Ship Leasing, Plains GP Holdings, Sorrento Therapeutics, Park City, Secure Works. And then on the sell side, we had a couple, uh, Curious, Daco Energy, Lakeland Industries. Remember, they're the guys who make the suits uh, to keep you out of trouble if there's a medical emergency. Magic Software, which is an Israeli company. Top Build, uh, PDS Biotech, and Jounce Therapeutics. They all got kind of, Jounce got trounced. <laughs> uh, so uh, there we go. Now, one of the other one of the other things I think you got to be paying attention to. Well, I tell you what, let's, let's go into the foreign markets when we get back. All right, uh, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. Remember, live show 216-901-0945. Stay tuned. Okay. If you like good guitar work, we're uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan here. <laughs> Uh, one of the best, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, um, look, I, I recently saw something that, uh, you know, we always talk about insiders on this show, and I try to look at trends and where there's large insider buying, okay? Uh, and, you know, if I also have a good chart, uh, I'm, uh, I'm enthusiastic, to say the least. So I, I recently identified uh, a trend that suggested corporate insiders at some relatively out-of-favor technology firms uh, are starting to buy the lull. And by the way, I, I talked about these ESGs, environmental, social, and governance stocks, and they got killed. In step the insiders buying the stocks. They're not going away. You know, buy low, sell high. So I, I, I'll just mention that. I, I've got a whole bunch of names. Uh, you know, California Resources, Clean Energy Fuels, uh, a couple of names that I saw, um, you know, I, I, you know, I, I've seen it on some of the other names like, uh, you know, Uber. We had Dan Loeb by and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I'm, there's some new names that I saw, and there's been some big names. Okay, uh, Ed Schoen, who's the chairman of U-Haul, which uh, was a $680 stock or $640 stock, is now 520. Steps up and buys $45 million worth of stock. And then the second one is Rig, Transocean. And these were the good guys in the, in the BP uh, movie, by the way. 
we had uh, a director Moan and a, and Tetra Trokia, <laughs> which is uh, a a Russian group, by twelve million, twelve and a half million, and twelve and a half million, and then they came back two days later and bought eight and a half million, eight and a half million. Uh, so that gets out to be about forty million dollars worth of stock. That's a that, that ain't chump change, folks. And then our friends at uh, at at Penny Mac Financial continue to buy. You know, they bought last week. They bought the week before. And we, uh, Mr. Nanji, who's a director, bought another uh, eight. Well, I'm sorry, uh, ten point four million dollars. And MFN Partners bought another ten point five million dollars. And then they bought two uh, two days earlier. They bought seven point one, and then another seven point one. So that's kind of interesting. And then we had Harold Ham, uh, who's one of the smartest guys in the oil patch there is. His stock uh, was, you know, in the thirty-eight area, fell down to thirty-four. He steps up the plate on 5.95 million and then 5.91 million uh, on on the 15th and 16th. So uh, a lot of lot of buyers there. Uh, but it's amazing how many people have been buying this uh, this Penny Mac. Uh, you know, they I think uh, the same two people had bought another like three million dollars. Uh, then they bought five million dollars worth. Uh, you know, and then our good old friend Philip Frost of Opco. Uh, Bought another 200,000 shares of Opco. I think he now owns 29% of the company, and that's not dumb money. Uh, you know, they're they're not giving the, the guy much room uh, to work with because the shorts are just beating him up. But I have a feeling there's he's got something up his sleeve. And then um, a couple new issues that we should talk about. Uh, uh, number one is Open Door. Uh, we had the uh, the, the director uh, Keffer buy a million dollars worth, and then. Telebio, which came out at 16, and uh, he bought this at 14, uh, 12 and a half. I'm sorry, he bought a million dollars, and then an old biotech that I made a lot of money on. I bought it four and sold it in twenties. But uh, uh, Corsep Bio uh, Therapeutics, I'm sorry, where the uh, director bought a uh, million dollars worth, and then also uh, the Geo Group, which is a healthcare REIT. We had uh, the chairman and CEO buy 1.1 million dollars worth. You like seeing that, and then. Here's here's one that's interesting, but it's made a huge move, so you got to wait on it. And this is Asana Inc. Now, Matt Hedberg is uh, one of our best analysts and, and has a report out on this company, if you're interested. But Dustin Makovitz, who's president, CEO, and chairman, uh, in, in four straight days, he bought $7.3 million, $7.4 million, $7.5 million, $7.9 million. All right. Now, he also bought last week. Now, he also owns like 9%, 10% of the company. So here, this stock is at a new high. You know, I mean, it's made a move. He bought it in the 49.50 area. Uh, it's now at 60. It was up like four bucks Friday. So you're going to let this one come back to you, but uh, I would, you know, pay pretty pretty close attention uh, to what he has to say. So, uh, you know, he, he, he's, he's a pretty smart guy and he, he knows what he's talking about. So, I'll just leave it at that. Um, you know, one of the things that uh, we we always talk about on the show is making sure that, you know, we're buying these things at the right time. OK. And, you know, I think it's important uh, that you pay very close attention to the, where these guys are buying it, because sometimes they have, you know, pretty strong moves right afterwards. OK, so uh, that's something to think about now. Look, after listening to Richard Bernstein, 
uh, he said it, you know, we've been saying it for a while, but you're not really seeing the move yet. I want to talk about foreign markets because we haven't talked about, you know, look, I came on this on the air in 2007 and said to get out of China. I hit it. I literally hit it at the high. I don't think I've ever done that. Okay. But it was parabolic. And I said, you know, I'm worried about it. And uh, it got killed. I'll just say this. The emerging markets have bro- broken out of a big base. Okay. And I'm looking at there. There's two or three different ETFs that I'm looking at. The relative strength or the relative performance versus the S&P 500 has not broken out. So that's kind of, you know, a, a, a tough scenario, but it's, you know, they're starting to move. Okay. So I say that simply because the fact that, you know, Richard Bernstein and a couple other people are saying, Hey, the fundamentals are improving in the foreign market. Now, usually they improve better if the dollar goes down. And like I said, you know, I can make a case for the dollar going either direction right at this point. So I'm not going to, you know, flip a coin and see if I'm right. I'm going to wait. But I think it's something you've got to pay attention to. Uh, even the EFA, which is the Morgan Stanley Corporate Index, there's a lot of other ones out there, by the way. It's starting to, you know, it's right where it needs to, you know, it, it could break out. And uh, once again, relative strength is not performing for us. So, that's something to think about, right? And, uh, you know, that's to consider. Now, I think you have to put that in the context of the dollar. The weekly momentum in the dollar remains negative after peaking in the first quarter. And and I still have a long-term negative view on it, but there's a lot of people negative right now, and it has made kind of a little bit of a double bottom here. Uh, so it, it, it has to get past 93.1. Pretty big move, you know. It's at 89, some change now. So, the, the spot index, uh, uh, you know, is if, if you look at the daily spot index, uh, the momentum has been positive for a while. So, it'll be interesting to see if this thing breaks through or not. I did see the Canadian dollar breakthrough, so uh, that probably means that oil is not done yet. And oil broke a major, major resistance area. Okay. Uh, the next resistance is until 77. So, I mean, oil could move up. But it may, you know, normally when you have a breakout, you have a pullback first, and then it goes higher. So uh, I would suggest that the, the momentum has become, short-term momentum has become overbought. So you want to wait a while on the oil stocks. As I said earlier, all the oil stocks are in sections five and six of the zone theory. Jim Yates was the guy who designed that. He was an option specialist. And all he said was in zone one, you buy the calls. In zone five and six, you sell the calls. So right now, they're overbought. Let them come back to you. But uh, And I think oil will come back, and everybody will start to get, you know, poo-poo it, and, and then it'll turn. Uh, it might take a while. Uh, and, and then again, you know, copper, like I said, copper's at uh, a point where it was in 2011. So that could be considered a double top. Um, but it does, it, you know, there's two tops and there's two two bottoms. One occurred in 2015 and one occurred in 2019. So it'll be interesting to see which, you know, holds true in the supplier demand. And, uh, you know, usually when governments get involved, uh, well, you know, George Soros used to say when a government got involved in their currency, you short the currency more. All right. Uh, so the question is, you know, we have the Chinese government get involved in commodities. You know, 
do do go long the currency, long the commodity because they're trying to keep the prices down. So we'll we'll see what happens. But they are right at their uptrend line dating back to wow uh, March of last year. So uh, you know when when the bull market started for the commodities, uh, gold spot you know got beat up. They still have a lot of support at eighteen seventy. They're right there. Uh, the relative performance versus copper though turned up. Which, uh, or at least broke its downtrend line. So that 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 should be something that we got to pay attention to. So what do we do now? Well, look, I think you know we're going to have some turbulence in the market. I've said that for a while now. Uh, we have had some turbulence in the market. So I would go to uh, WHK fourteen twenty. Go to local podcast down to the Smart Investor Show and Tim Hayes, and we've got some good stuff there. Uh, for you young professionals, we have a uh, mo- you know money for. Yeah, you know, a little brochure on money matters. We have women and wealth. It's a planning workbook. Uh, I, I had a bunch of ladies call in for this. Uh, they're an investment group uh, on the west side, and you know I, they've been very complimentary of the of the thing. Also, the savvy investors credit workbook. Now, look if you can get a long term loan, now's the time to do it. Interest rates are at an all time low. I bet you within five years, you know, we'll be wishing we would have done it. And a business owner's guide to transition planning, okay, is available too for all you people selling your business. Believe me, private equity is trying to steal your business, you know, to try to sell it otherwise. We have our ADR list, our top ideas. ADRs are foreign stocks that trade on our exchange. Our top ideas, small cap, large cap, you name it. The dividend growth portfolio, the prime income list. You want to have a cup of coffee? I've had my shots. <laughs> By the way, on, on my webpage is Insights great thing and rob schleimer our technical analyst is now on there it's trending cycle in the meantime have a great weekend happy father's day to all the fathers remember you guys are important too and buy low sell high thanks for listening to the smart investor hour to reach tim during the week call him toll free 888-223-7742 That's 888-223-7742. Or visit his website, rbcwmfa.com slash Tim Hayes. That's all one word in the address bar, rbcwfma.com slash Tim Hayes. Please join us again next Saturday for the Smart Investor Hour to hear more smart investing from Tim Hayes of RBC Wealth Management.